0: Bless you guys. If you will, turn in your Bibles for the last time on a Thursday night to 2nd Kings chapter 25, as we have come to an end of our study of the books of the Kings, um, which we've been in for over a year. We've had some breaks, taken some breaks in between, but we have been able to cover first and second Kings over the past year. But we've covered 1st and 2nd Samuel probably for the last two years, you know, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings. For over two years we've been in this Old Testament study. And so tonight is the final night. We've been off for the last several weeks with different things going on. And so we are back into the book of 2 Kings. And let me just bring you up to speed really quick before we get into our text. Because I think it's important for us to kind of understand, if, especially if you've missed or if you've been gone for a little bit, um, that, that a, a couple chapters ago, um, we, we had like the greatest king of the southern kingdom who, who had come in to, to begin to reign. His name was King Joash, and he was eight years old when, when he, w- he began to reign, and he reigned for 31 years. And so he ended up dying when he was 39 years old, in the year uh, 0, uh, 608 B.C. All of these is B.C. days, but um, in, in 608 is when he, he died. And there will only be four other kings after him. Before the southern kingdom is taken into captivity, as we will look at tonight uh, by the Babylonians, three of them will be his sons, one of them his grandson. And the son who took over for him, for Joash, when he died was Jehoahaz. And Jehoahaz was the second to the oldest son, not the oldest. He was the second to the oldest son, but he only reigned for three months before he was taken prisoner by, uh, by Pharaoh Necho of Egypt. Pharaoh Necho um, put in the oldest son in power, who, who happened to be more of a puppet king than anything else to Pharaoh Necho. And his name <clears throat> was Jehoiakim. Um, and he ended up reigning for 11 years. And three years into his reign, That is when King Nebuchadnezzar, the king from Babylon, began to come into the picture. There had been fightings before that with the king of Assyria and and Egypt. And all those places were at war. But now uh, Babylon is coming into fruition and they're taking control of all this. And so uh, King Nebuchadnezzar comes knocking at the door, at King um, Jehoiakim's uh, door. And, and this is where it, it is the beginning of the end of the kingdom, basically, when he comes on the scene. And so in, in 605 B.C., during the reign of Jehoiakim... Um, the Babylonians had be, had come in and they started taking over. And this is when the first deportation started happening because it, there was three deportations that happened uh, in the southern kingdom before they finally took over, as we'll see tonight. But in the first uh, deportation that happened, um, this is when Judah, the southern kingdom, lost like the best young men of of. of of that place that they were taken captive, and they left these other people behind, and, and the king they left him behind. but this is when they, they took people to to kind of become uh, officials and, and try to groom them up in Babylon and among them was Daniel, the prophet Daniel, um, and his three friends that were taken in that first deportation in, in six hundred and five BC. The second deportation happened in 580, 597 B.C. when Jehoiachin, um, Joash's grandson, was now in power. This, this would have been Jehoiakim's son, who came into power, but he only reigned for three months. And in those three months, it was vital that that he was already doing evil in the sight of the Lord. But the second deportation happens at this time. And he himself, this king, Jehoiachin, um, gets taken captive by the king of Babylon. And so in this second deportation is when we see the prophet Ezekiel also gets taken away from the nation of Israel, from Judah. So he was taken captive, and, 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 and now this whole thing is happening, and that is when the king of Babylon now puts Jehoiachin's uncle, Zedekiah, Joash's youngest son into power and he would reign for 11 years and so you after Joash was uh, the son for three months and then uh, his other son for 11 years and then the the grandson for three months and now the last son uh, Zedekiah will reign for about 11 years and he will be the last and final king of the southern kingdom now Zedekiah was still colluding and getting help from the king of Egypt, from the, the nation of Egypt. And in 588, and I'm giving you a lot of dates, but man, I think they're so vital for us to understand these dates. Um, in, in 588 BC, the political situation, um, the, it just seemed for, right for Zedekiah at that time, in that year, to begin to revolt against the king of Babylon. As the last verse of the last chapter that we covered, in, in verse 20 of chapter 24, it says right at the end, and Zedekiah rebelled against the king of Babylon. And Nebuchadnezzar responded to this rebellion by marching himself because he would send the armies to the first and second deportation to take these people away, to start taking over. And so so now Nebuchadnezzar himself, he comes down with the army and they come against the Egyptians and and move them out of the way. But yet King uh, Zedekiah continued to try to ask him for help and to come alongside to, to, to keep them at bay. And so um, finally the, the Babylonians, they, they overcame the, the, the king of Egypt. And so he withdrew because as, as Nebuchadnezzar was fighting on two fronts, he, he realized, let me go take care of those people, but I'm going to come back to Jerusalem. And so he comes and, and, and he fights against Zedekiah. The, God, the, the, the Lord used Jeremiah the prophet, and the, Jeremiah is vital in this last chapter. God sent Jer, uh, Jeremiah to warn Zedekiah that that Nebuchadnezzar would return because he thought oh he 's going to go fight he 's going to be gone he 's taken his people he hadn 't taken all his people, but he would return And jeremiah thirty seven and speaks about that. And so instead of having faith in God, because God had sent the the prophet to tell him this is what's going on, Zedekiah, he trusted more in Egypt. And so Zedekiah had even called for this international coalition to come and and fight and help him fight against the Babylonians. But the Babylonians were just becoming stronger and stronger and stronger. And as we see through history, they became like one of the strongest uh, nations, uh, empires ever. And so here they're trying to fight against these guys and and to no avail. And so these nations, they just went back. They couldn't keep these guys at bay. And at at the end here, as we finished last time, in verse 20, it says that God finally, He, God, finally cast them out of His presence. Talking about His own nation. See, God had allowed and had prophesied about Nebuchadnezzar coming in and and, and bringing punishment upon his own people. And so he returned and he began this siege against the southern kingdom. And so let's pick it up right here in, in verse 1 of chapter 25 of 2 Kings. It says, Now it came to pass in the ninth year of his reign in the tenth month, on the, t- on the tenth day of the month, that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and all his army came against Jerusalem and encamped against it. And they built a siege wall against it all around. So the city was besieged until the eleventh year of King Zedekiah. By the ninth day of the fourth month, The famine had become so severe that the city, in the city, that there was no food for the people of the land. And what I find fascinating as we just camp here for a little bit is the detail of dates that we have, particularly in this last chapter here. And it could be because of the involvement of the Babylonians. And I say that because the details that are found here um, are very similar to the, the, the details that we find like in the book of Ezekiel and in the book of Daniel. Both Daniel and Ezekiel ended up being in Babylon and there was a lot of detail to, to the times, the dates, the, the, the days, the, the, all, all of that. There, there was so much detail. And I find it fascinating here that, that in this particular chapter, because these dates are really important for us to understand, because it says here that in the, it came to pass in the ninth year of his reign, in Zedekiah's reign, in the ninth year, because he's going to reign 11 years. But in the ninth year, and so this puts us at 588 B.C., in the 10th month, and the tenth day of the month. This, this month and this day refer to the ancient Hebrew l- l- lunar 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 lunar. Am I getting it right? Lunar the moon, right? Lunar. Thank you. Um, it, it 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 refers to this ancient Hebrew lunar calendar. Okay and and there's num a, a number of events that happen in second uh second kings particularly in this last chapter that can be cross-checked with the dates in, in, in surviving Babylonian records as I was reading about this whole thing and and it relates uh, the relation is really accurate to or or they you know they kind of cross-reference to our modern day calendar and so the ninth year of his reign along with the 10th day uh, 10th month and the 10th day brings us to the date of january 15th 588 bc and i'm thinking man i i did you know somebody else has done all this work and i'm grateful for that because all of a sudden all these dates are starting to be put in place and this is how important these days are because it will have to do with a little later when we get into like Nehemiah, the building of the uh, of, of Jerusalem, and and, and and Ezra, and building the 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 temple back up, and all all those kinds of things. So, which which means that this eleventh year of his reign and the ninth mo- uh, day of the fourth month takes us to July eighteenth, five eighty six in verse in verses uh, 2 and and 3. And so there's a difference of about 18 months from the time that Nebuchadnezzar, they come against uh, Jerusalem to the time that that the the famine is so severe that something's got to give. There's a, a time of 18 months where nothing is happening in Jerusalem as far as everything is besieged. Everything is closed up. Nothing goes out. Nothing comes in. Which means that whatever they had in their possession when they got surrounded by the, the Babylonian army, that's all that they had to live on for 18 months. And so they had to scramble for all of these things. And it says that in those 18 months, when they got to the end here on July 18th, 586 BC, it says that the famine became so severe in the city that they had no more food. They had run out of food. Now this famine, again, it wasn't in all the land. It was just in Jerusalem because nothing was going out. Nothing was coming in. And it's interesting because Jeremiah, again the prophet, he is there at that time. And he writes in the book of Lamentations, he writes this. In Lamentations chapter 4 verses uh, 9, 10, and 11. Those slain by the sword are better off than those who die of hunger. for For these pine away, stricken for lack of the fruit of the field. The hands of the compassionate women have cooked their own children. They became food for them in the destruction of the daughter of my people. The Lord has fulfilled his fury. He has poured out his fierce anger. He kindles the fire in Zion and it has devoured its foundation. For, for 18 months, can you imagine just having to live off whatever's in your cupboard if you haven't like stockpiled for the next 10, 20 years? For whatever reason, these people, they, they, they have brought this on themselves because God has been warning them time and time again. He has used the prophet Jeremiah time and time again. He had used Ezekiel before he was taken in, 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 into captivity that these, this kind of judgment was coming upon them. And now it's finally here in in, in this. And he gives us the exact time, the exact day and, 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 and month of when all of this was happening. And in verse four, it says, Then the city wall was broken through, and all the men of war fled at night by way of the gate between the walls, which was by the king's garden." even though the Chaldeans were still encamped all around against the city and the king went by way of the plain. But the the army of the Chaldeans pursued the king and they overtook them in the plains of Jericho. All his army was scattered from him. So they took the king and brought him up to the king of Babylon in Riblah and they pronounced judgment on him. Then they killed the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes, put out, put out the eyes of Zedekiah, bound him with bronze fetters, and took him to Babylon. What a sad situation that's going on here. It, it, it's interesting because it tells us that the, the walls were broken through. And as I was looking at this, I was looking at some of the commentary, and they're saying, well, they finally broke through and came in. But I'm thinking, no, nah, I think it's more of an inside job here. I think they were so desperate that they began to tunnel out of the wall because it's behind the king's house. So it's somewhere where where, where they were going to be able to open it up and then escape. Because if 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 it was the other... Uh, the Babylonians, they would have just killed them as they're coming out or they would have rushed in. But I think it was the other way around to where they were breaking out because they were so desperate because there was no food. And they're thinking, we got to get out of here. If we get killed, we get killed because we're going to die anyways because there's no food. And so they escape the king and all these these men of war they escape and they flee into the plains of Jericho which which would be at least 20 some miles away so they they have this head start as they're leaving and it talks about the Chaldeans and the Chaldeans are the same people as the Babylonians so when you hear Chal- Chaldeans it is Babylon it is the army of the ba- uh, of the Babylonians and it says that when they got out there that the whole army they, they, they scatter from Zedekiah. They kind of leave him on his own, it seems like, him and his family. And again, God had sent the prophet Jeremiah time and time again to speak to him about what to do and what not to do. But because of his disobedience to the Lord, he continues to be rebellious. And now him and his family are caught. And when they get caught, they get taken all the way up to Riblah. And Riblah was about 65 miles north of Damascus. And they're still down by Jericho, down, down about 65 miles south of Galilee. So there are a hundred and some miles that they take them. So f- there's, there's a time lapse here that from that time where they catch them to where they take them all the way up to where the king of Babylon is at, that there, they, they, they get him there. And it says that they pronounce the judgment on him. And you would think that at this point, now that he has caught the king, that he would just kill the whole family. But he doesn't do that. Now, more than likely, he saves his wives and his daughters, but he takes his sons and he kills them all. And it's interesting because here is the end of the dynasty of David's throne. This is what it looks like here. That, that, that Zedekiah would be the last kings and his sons would be the ones that would sit on the throne. And now they kill the sons and they kill them right in front of Zedekiah. And you would think that they would just kill him too, but they don't do that. These guys are brutal, man. They, 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 they gouge out his eyes instead. And that is the last image that he will ever see is the death of his kids. The, ki- the, the death of his sons. And not just the death of his sons, but the death of a dynasty, you would say. That's what he had to live with for the rest of his life because he doesn't die for a little bit. He gets taken in, in, in fetters and he gets taken up to Babylon And here's what's interesting, again, because God had prophesied about this whole thing happening to Zedekiah through the prophet Jeremiah and through the prophet Ezekiel. And Jeremiah says about him, it says, And you shall not escape from his hand, the Babylonian king's hand, but you shall surely be taken and delivered into his hands. Your eyes shall see the eyes of the king of Babylon. He shall speak with you face to face, and you shall go to Babylon. And yet in Ezekiel twelve, thirteen, he says, And I will spread my net over him, and he shall be caught in my snare. I will bring him to Babylon, to the land of the Chaldeans, yet he shall not see it, though he shall die there. It's interesting because he gets to see the king, but he doesn't get to see... Babylon. Because it gouged his eyes out before he ever got to Babylon. And so this prophecy comes to pass that was told to him, about him that he would see the king but he would never see it with his own eyes. He would never see the land. And again it goes back to the disobedience. Again if you're being warned and warned and warned by the Lord about what to do and how to get things right and you continue to be disobedient, then again, these judgments and these, these things will come upon you for your disobedience. And, and here you have this king, this king who, who will be the last one. Can you imagine be, escaping, thinking, okay, I, I'm, I'm going to get away from this guy. And yet you get caught up and what's going on there and you get caught and they take you right to him and he, and he kills your kids and the last thing you ever see is the death of your sons. And you live like that forever and you're blinded and you have nothing else to look at but that running through your head. What an amazing, crazy story that happens. And in verse 8 it says, In the fifth month of the seventh day of the month, which was the 19th year of King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar, the captain of the guard, a servant of the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem. He burned the house of the Lord and the king's house. All the houses in Jerusalem, that is, all the houses of the great, he burned with fire. And all the armies, army of the Chaldeans who were with the captain of the guard, broke down the walls of Jerusalem all around. Then Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, carried away captive the rest of the people who remained in the city, and the defectors who had uh, deserted uh, to the king of Babylon, with the rest of the multitude. But the captain of the guard left some of the poor in the land as vine dressers and farmers. The bronze pillars that were in the house of the Lord and the carts and the bronze sea that were in the house of the Lord, the Chaldeans broke in pieces and carried their bronze to Babylon. They also took the pots, the shovels, the trimmers, the spoons, and all the brown, bronze utensils which, with which the priests ministered, the firepans and the basins, the things of solid gold and solid silver the captain of the guard took away, the two pillars, one sea, and the carts which Solomon had made for the house of the Lord. The bronze uh, of all the, these articles was beyond measure the height of one pillar was 18 cubits or 27 feet and the capital of the of it was bronze the height of the capital was 3 cubits 7 more feet and the net were net, network of pomegranates and all the cap- t- capitals uh, were all of bronze the second pillar was the same with a network the captain of the guard took Saraiah, the chief priest, Sephaniah, the second priest, and the three doorkeepers, and he took out of the city an officer who had charge of the men of war, five men, and the king's close associates who were found in the city, the chief recruiting officer of the army who mustered the people of the land, and sixty men of the people of the land who were found in the city so Nebuzaradan captain of the guard took these and brought them to king to the king of Babylon in Riblah then the king of Babylon struck them put them to death at Riblah in the land of Hamath thus Judah was carried away captive from its own land so once again this army this Babylonian army once they had broken through you know once they had captured all these you know the king and all that stuff they come back and, and now the siege that they have had for 18 months now they've, they, they've broken in and now it's time to take the city and now it's time to loot everything that is in there. It's time to destroy the houses and, and, and they've As they finally get into the city, they get into the temple. And on August 14th, 586 B.C. is when they destroy the temple and they destroy Jerusalem. The prophet Jeremiah had counseled Zedekiah and his officers that they were to surrender to the king of Babylon. Instead of having them go through all of this so that they can at least save the temple and they can at least save the city. But because of his rebellion, and again, God was trying to warn him, hey, don't go that far. Don't go there. But he would continue to disobey the Lord. And instead of saving the city, everything would be ruined. Zedekiah had Jeremiah arrested at that time. He considered him a traitor for wanting to to give themselves over and just surrender. And one of the officers had taken Jeremiah, and I remember years ago doing a study in Jeremiah and just seeing all of this happen. And they had taken Jeremiah and, and they put him in jail, and then finally they just dropped him into an abandoned cistern to die and rot there. But yet he was rescued. And Jeremiah, he has seen all these things happen because he's not going to be taken captive. He's going to want to stay with the people that are left behind. And so Jeremiah, for 40 years, he has been at this, telling the kings, all these kings from from Joash uh, or Josiah all the way on, he's been telling these kings about the judgment that is coming. And yet this weak king this king who, who, who was more of a puppet than anything else. At one point, he, he asked Jeremiah, what should I do? Ask the Lord what I should do. And when the Lord tells him what to do and he comes back and he tells the king, he refuses to do what the Lord tells him to do. It's like, then why you ask me? And then he said, well, pray for me. And yet he would never pray for himself. And so after removing all these valuable things, From the city and from the temple. On this date of August 14th, 586 B.C. The Babylonians finished breaking down all the walls of the city. And it's important for us to understand that because when we get into into Nehemiah, these are the same walls that he comes and he cries over that are broken down. Again, it was because of the, the disobedience of this king. Well, for that matter, for a lot of those guys who had done evil in the sight of the Lord. And yet, this is when the destruction of Jerusalem happens. And we start seeing all this stuff happening and, and pretty soon when we get into Ezra and, and, and Nehemiah, we start seeing that God is faithful to restore what has been broken down. But this whole wall has been destroyed. And it says that he left the the poor people there because they're taking all these things. And and this is where at the end, they're taking this last deportation. Everybody's leaving, but they're leaving these poor people so that they can take care of the land. Whatever's left. These poor people who had nothing now have it all, but there's nothing for them. All these officials he takes and he puts them to death. It's interesting because for, for all these years that we've been studying, not in all these years, but all this, this time that we've been kind of covering all this stuff, that judgment would come one day. It was finally going to come. And he gives us an exact date of when the judgment of God came upon the southern kingdom. It's interesting because the priests had become so corrupt and, and they had begun to, to pollute, or the priests and the kings, they began to pollute the idols and encourage the people to break the covenants of God. And now these same leaders of this nation who refuse to listen to God are being punished. And it's interesting because as God sends His judgment, He says this in the parallel story in 2 Chronicles Thirty-six verses 15 and 16 it says and the Lord God of their fathers sent warnings to them by his messengers ra- rising up early and sending them because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place but they mocked the messengers of God despised his words and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people until there was no remedy. What a sad, sad commentary that these people would get to a point where there is no remedy. That God would finally say, okay, I've warned you guys. We're told here in 2 Chronicles that God, I mean, by his mercy and by his grace would send people to warn them. We've seen just some of the, the prophecies about these, these guys that, that he would send and say, this is what's going to happen unless you turn. And God would continue to show compassion to the very end and to his dwelling place. And yet they continued to turn. And now the judgment day has arrived and only the poor people get to stay. It is kind of interesting because King Hezek uh, Zedekiah he continued to live even when he was in Babylon and and he w- he had been in prison until he died and it's interesting because the Lord even promised him that he that he would have an honorable funeral and you're going, the guy doesn't deserve any of that, but yet it was already prophesied that he would in jeremiah thirty four five and uh 4 and 5 it says yet hear the word of the Lord O Zedekiah king of Judah thus says the Lord concerning you you shall not die by the sword you shall die in peace as in the ceremonies of your fathers the former kings who were before you so you shall burn incense uh, so they shall burn incense for you and lament for you saying alas Lord For I have pronounced the word, says the Lord. And so he would be honored as a king, even though he didn't deserve it. He would be the final king of the southern kingdom. The Lord did it for David's sake. Because he loved David. And he promised David that there would always be a son sitting on the throne. And I know I shared earlier that they killed his sons and the dynasty finished, but there's a little twist to this whole story (laughs) as we see in the end. But it wouldn't come from Zedekiah. His sons would never sit on the throne of David. And one of the sad verses is in verse 21 here where it says, Thus Judah was carried away captive, from its own land. 135 years before this, the northern kingdom had been taken captive by the Assyrians. And it was a sad day, don't get me wrong. It was a sad day, learning that, that because of their disobedience, they would be taken out of, their, out of their land. But now it's the final southern kingdom, where Jerusalem is, that now they are being taken out. And this morning as I was reading that, my, my heart, again, already being heavy from all the other stuff that's been going on, my heart even got heavy over this going. This was sad because when you read in, in, in the beginning when he, he, he brings Israel out of, out of Egypt, when he takes them through the wilderness and he had promised them the promised land that one day they would go into the promised land. And, and when Joshua takes the people into Jericho, And when they began to conquer this land that God had promised their father Abraham. And now we get to this point on this day in in, in August. (laughs) And they're done. They're done and you're going, are you kidding me? God's faithful, guys. Even though it looks like there's no more hope here. This promised land that God had given them all of a sudden we're told and they were carried away from their own land. Everything that God gave them He he took away. He promised them that they would be there forever but because of their disobedience because of their idolatry because they would not turn and follow wholeheartedly towards the Lord as a people. Finally finally this comes upon them and I just think man what a sad, sad statement. And it was disobedience that brought them to this place. In verse 22, says, Then he made Gadaliah, the son of Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, governor over the people who remained in the land of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had left. Now when all the captains of the armies, they and their men heard that the king of Babylon had made Gadaliah governor, they came to Gadaliah at Mizpah. Ishmael, the son of Nathaniah. I'm going to jack up all these names, so I'm just going to go to first name basis here. You have Ishmael, Jehanna, um, there was another guy too there's a few guys here but I'm going to jack them all up so um, I'll just go to verse 24 if you don't mind um, and Gadaliah looked at the oath before him, before them and their men and said to them do not be afraid of the servants of the Chaldeans dwell in the land and serve the king of Babylon and it shall be well with you but it happened in the seventh month that Ishmael, the son of this guy and that guy, um, of the royal family came with ten men and struck and killed Gadaliah, the Jews, and as well as the Chaldeans who were with him in Mitzbah, And all the people, small and great, and the captains of the armies arose and went to Egypt for they were afraid of the Chaldeans. And so here, at the end here, Gadaliah, who is not part of David's family, is made governor. There's no more king here. The monarchy is done for the nation of Israel. And he sets up this, this, this man, Gadaliah, to oversee. But Ishmael, he, he's, he, he's kind of from the family somewhat. But but he has it out for him, and he comes, and when he destroys and kills Gadaliah, then they all begin to escape and get taken, or, or they all go to, to Egypt. And this is where the prophet Jeremiah, even though Je- Jeremiah was treated really well by the Chaldeans, by the Babylonians, and they gave him the option, do you want us to take you to Babylon? We'll take care of you up there. Or would you rather stay with the people? And here you see Jeremiah's heart, man. Jeremiah was such a, a, a shepherd to, to Israel, even though that for 40 years, he just got jacked time and time and time again. Nobody ever came and listened to him. Oh, he had a, the few. But by and large, nobody listened to this guy. And yet he said, I will stay here with the people. I will stay here over the people. And you can imagine his heart just being so broken hearted. As he sees the ruins of the city and the temple. But he knew that the Lord was fulfilling his promises. Because in Second in, in Chronicles 36, 20 and 21, it says this, And those who escape from the sword, he will carry away to Babylon, where they become servants of him and his sons until the rule of the king of persia or the kingdom of persia to fulfill the word of the lord by the mouth of jeremiah until the land has enjoyed her sabbaths as long as she lays desolate she keeps she kept sabbath to fulfill 70 years it's interesting because again it was prophesied by daniel that because they did not keep the sabbath for all these years of the monarchy this was part of the judgment that was coming upon the nation of Israel. That they would be taken away into captivity for seven years, which would add up to all the, the Sabbaths that they missed for all these years. This was part of the judgment. Because they did not allow the, the land to rest as God had commanded them back in Leviticus. They were disobedient even in that and so the land would be or have its Sabbath for 70 years. And at this point it just seems like all hope is gone. But in verse 27 it says, now it came to pass in the 37th year of the cap- captivity of Jehoiachin king of Judah the 12th month on the twenty. 20- seventh day of the month, that evil Merodach, king of, of Babylon, in the year that he reigned, that he began to reign, he released Jehoiachin, king of Judah, from prison. He spoke kindly to him and gave him a more prominent seat than those of the king's Who were with him in Babylon. So Jehoiachin changed from his prison garments and he ate bread regularly before the king all the days of his life. And as for his provision, there was a regular ration given him by the king, a portion for each day all the days of his life. Now it's interesting because Jehoiachin was the one that reigned for three months. He was the grandson of jo, uh, uh, Joash or Josiah. He was the grandson. He would be the one that would be mentioned in Matthew chapter one in the genealogy of Jesus through um, through Joseph, and so that 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 promise is still there. <laughs> the promise that he had given to his servant David that he would not lack a man. To sit on the throne. That that genealogy continued. So it didn't die. With Zedekiah and and his sons. It continued with. Jehoiachin. Jehoiachin. Had been in prison for 30 some years. He had been held captive. For 37 years. And at the end. We see that there's a glimmer of hope. That he comes out of that prison. And he begins to be taken care of. And isn't that just how, how the Lord works? That even though these guys had done this terrible, evil, wickedness in his sight, that he kept a, a small little remnant like this man. Oh, he kept all the, the, the rest that were in captivity that would come back to the nation of Israel. But he kept Jehoiachin, part of David's family, to carry on the legacy, to carry on the, 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 the genealogy, if you will, for Jesus eventually. And I just find it fascinating that even though this is such a sad ending to me, that there's a glimmer of hope right at the end, right at the end that this guy comes back on the scene. It's almost like all this stuff is going on, and then all of a sudden it's like, well, meanwhile, back at the ranch, uh, Jehoiachin is still sitting there. (laughs) And he's still alive. And there's still a glimmer of hope that Jesus would be born through the line of David. And so it just fascinates me that God, even though all of this has to happen, even though there's judgment that happens to the nation of Israel, there's still hope. Now, as I've been praying about what to do here, you know, I I don't want to start. I I think I'm going to go right into uh, um, Ezra. But I won't start that until the beginning of the year. And so what I want to do for the next couple of weeks is just kind of take you through Israel's history, starting from, from uh, Abraham in the next couple of weeks and just kind of bring you all the way up to where we're going to be starting in, in, uh, in the first of the year. Towards the end of this year, I got a couple of guys that are going to be sharing. But again, man, what an amazing portion for me it's been. I know some of you guys have come and gone through throughout this time. But to be able to study just this whole situation from First from, um, Samuel to the end Here of second kings has been phenomenal to go through every king good and bad to see the history and how god was faithful to king david through the end because king david has been part of the narrative throughout all of it just about and so god is faithful he really is guys but there's a difference between obedience and disobedience, and we see that throughout this whole history. Because I think when, I used to, when I've read through, through the Old Testament, and especially through this portion, I couldn't quite comprehend why God would be so gracious to the nation of Israel. Throughout all the times of, of, of their spiritual fornication, through all the idolatry, through all the rebellion, through all the, the, the senseless murders and all those things. And I just kind of have to remember that God's faithful. He is faithful. Because I think every one of us, as much as we can look at the nation of Israel and going, you're kidding me. You were such a precious jewel to him. Why were you so disobedient? And I always have to turn that back on me <laughs> and on us. If we know how gracious God is, Why do we continue to not trust Him? Why do we continue to disobey Him? Why would we ever go back to the things like the high places? Why would we ever turn our back on such a gracious God that even though judgment had to come on His people, He would not leave them there? Oh, for 70 years, they would be in captivity. But there's a hope (laughs) There really is. Because even when they were in captivity he used men like Daniel and Ezekiel and I think Zephaniah. He used people like that or Obadiah um, in in captivity. And then he would use prophets as they they came back. But he would use men like Ezra and Zerubbabel and and, uh, Nehemiah and people like that to bring them back to the land. Because God is faithful. He's not done with Israel. He will never be done with Israel until the very end. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for just allowing us the privilege, Lord, to be able to go through the Old Testament here, Lord God. I know for me it's been fascinating, Lord. I pray that, God, I've been able to do it some justice. God, even in this last chapter, as we saw some crazy details here about dates, how amazing it is, Lord. that that you would pinpoint certain things so that we would remember that you are a God of detail. You know every day. You know what happens every day. And every day is significant to you, God. And we thank you for that, Lord. And we do pray that even tonight, Lord God, for us as believers, Lord, we will remember about the hope that even when things look bleak (laughs) and things look done, There's always hope, Lord, and I thank you for that. And I pray that, God, we would be reminded of that daily. Lord, even today, my heart being heavy, Lord, Lord, there's hope in people's lives, Lord. There's hope today. Lord, we've had the opportunity to come and worship. We've had the opportunity to open up your word, Lord. And no matter what's going on in our lives, Lord God, There is still life in your word. And we thank you for that. Go before us, we ask God. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand as